well, not take two, part two, section two. Capital. <laughs> Dan and I have just spent the last half hour, possibly, trying to figure out the best way to go over these four pages. <laughs> and I don't know what we've settled on. And the answer is to not get caught up. Do I want to talk about things that are not included in these four pages? Exactly. Which... Unless they were included in the first six pages of the book. Exactly. In which case, maybe yeah. it's acceptable. Um, speaking of which, Dan, first of all, hello, welcome. Um, my name's Jack. My name's Dan. Welcome to this um, auxiliary statements reading capital thing. Episode two thing. <laughs> um, wow. What a great response we had from all of our listeners on part one. Um, we, had some great, we had some great listener feedback. We did have some great listener feedback. We were very pl- pleased to have received. Yes, absolutely. Before we get to that, let me just say today, Dan and I are reading, as promised, uh, volume one, part one, chapter one, section two, which is the twofold character of the, of the labor embodied in commodities. But before we get to that, um, let's go over some of that said feedback because we had a very uh, smarter than us listener kindly come in and tell us um, where we aired or where we were perhaps going off the rails. And it's very useful. The The use value of these comments is off the charts, folks. It's off the charts. <laughs> but we shan't be paying you for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know uh, where the value comes in here. Mm. Um, we are, of course, talking about uh, friend of the show, we can now say. Legitimate friend of the Legitimate show. friend of the show, Comandante okay, Alpha, <laughs> yeah, uh, of the From Alpha to Omega podcast, who listened to our episode and helped us out a bit. So I think it would probably be useful to kind of go over some of these ideas that he yeah, bought e- up. Even even as substitute for a recap of what we talked about last exactly. week. Then. Exactly. Or a, a, it's a recap for us. Where does it stand that our recap is just corrections made by <laughs> other people? <laughs> you know, well, I, I, realized, about, yeah. I realized reading the book as we are, section by section, linearly going forward, we're inevitably going to misconstrue some things because we don't have the book in its totality. Yeah, it's, yeah this is why it's all recaps are a correction or even yeah. everything that we read subsequent to these this this reading this episode as far as we've gotten Mm-mm. will be will contribute towards a totality of human our understanding <laughs> or that well, correcting our understanding kind yeah, of thing. or at least filling in um sort of gaps in our understanding yeah probably. yeah exactly um so if you remember last week i brought up the question of it seems like capitalists just kind of inflate value arbitrarily. And I was referring to an iPhone because I was like, how can they charge more for an iPhone if the base value of something, perhaps to produce it, is exactly the same from an iPhone SE to an iPhone 10 billion? Um, thinking back on it now, I was conflating price and value. I yeah, maybe it might have been something that I added in. In my effort to come up with an answer to that question, I try to speak on something which I am not sure that we've gotten to yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, may, I may or may not have spoken incorrectly, but like we started to talk exactly. about the way that prices fluctuate around values. Mm. Um, Without, but think... so far we haven't even got to money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were speculating. So, so Tom helped us out, and he said, "Once you know that a commodity has a use, once you know a commodity has a use, it is possible to actually just calculate its value, just average over the labor time." taken for their production so that makes sense right I mean, yeah i was a bit worried that i implied previously that value is in some way obscured in such a way that it can't be seen sure and maybe that it, i'm still not certain that that isn't entirely the case mm. but by virtue of that questioning that or suggesting that 
didn't necessarily mean to imply that there isn't a calculation that you can do for how sure. much value there is in a thing, or at least that calculation is not po it's it's possible to do it, or at least it is a. It's out it there. is. It is no. It is, it is simply a process of addition. Mm. Oh sure. It's it's not uh, so vague and abstractified mm. that you can't say something as simple as the amount of value in a thing is yeah a sum that includes an addition of mm. all of the labor time that have gone into making a thing. Right? It would be hard to figure out, but you could yeah, figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, so then that comment. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to find out either from this reading or future readings whether mm. um, that is an activity that is actually possible to do. Yeah, yeah, the god brain. Mm -hmm. um, so then uh, we continue uh, with this comment. This is, you know, what this might turn into is just a from Alpha to Omega comment reading series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this comment goes on and says, also the value of a commodity is the labor time it takes to produce the commodity. Okay, yeah. But I think the emphasis there is to produce the economy. Because with this iPhone example, I bought up... What did I say? Economy. A, co a commodity. Um, because with the iPhone example, I bought up, like, well, what about maybe the value comes from people, like, doing the designs? Tom says no. Tom says it doesn't take into account the R&D required to develop it. That's why patents and trademarks exist to guaranteed prices above their value. It's why knockoff Louis Vuitton are so much cheaper even if produced in the same factory by the same workers. So yeah, I mean, this is definitely stuff that we haven't even gotten to, but it's it's very, it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, research and development not really coming into the value to produce something. Value is production. Yeah, I remember listening to an episode of what I assume may well have been Tom's podcast huh. many years ago when he was interviewing um, one of the multiple Marxist economists he talked to, possibly Andrew Kleinman or huh. Michael Roberts. Um, and one of them said something to the effect that what produces the value or what is determinative of the amount of value in a thing is not how long it takes to make the first thing, but how long it takes to reproduce the first exam first article of that thing. Kind of sure. Thing. It's the process of reproducing commodities mm. that determines their value. That was useful yeah, to me. Yeah, it was yeah. a useful piece of phraseology that was useful for me. I don't know whether that... No, that was really... Because you brought that up the other day, not in an episode, and that was really useful to me for me to understand. It's the reproduction of a commodity. It's not like... My God, it took me 50 years to figure out how to make the first iPhone. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. producing it. Yeah. Like... So like the, I don't know, a classic example, I suppose, from our contemporary age, like a huge amount of work can go into writing a piece of software. But sure. Yeah. There you go. That piece yeah. of software is reproduced by simply clicking copy and paste. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Brutal. Which is not, which basically means that it has no value. Yeah. Or very little value. Yeah. Which is why um, these things exist in the market to give them higher prices yeah this higher. is how, why patents exist and, yeah um, people try to command the monopolies of things because yeah that's the only way that you can that's how they do it you can have your thing command the price we should command a monopoly yeah we should go we should go around the allotment and steal every broad bean and hoard all of the broad beans so that now we have a monopoly i'm, I'm pretty sure my broad beans are dead so. mine also might be dead <laughs> um another comment um i will say go for the listeners who aren't tom go on our youtube there's a plug uh, where you'll find this episode on our YouTube, as all episodes are. Um, you can scroll through Tom's comments because they're all very, very useful. Um, again, I erred, perhaps, in saying that value, capital V value, de as determined by socially necessary labor time, perhaps is the truest form of value, Tom says, on that, what I said. He says, I would say that the socially necessary labor time is not the truest form of value, as that is a normative statement. I would say 
that is the definition of value in the Marxist sense. Smiley face. That was nice. <laughs> that smiley face. Um, so that makes sense. Uh, bad Jack. Um, and then there are just a couple other no, ones. I feel, I feel like, yeah. That it's a comparable. Incli- yeah, well, the inclination. No, I'm just sort of like, I want to speak to your your desire Ooh. to make these mm. to these pieces of terminology meaningful. <laughs> sure. In a sort of like, yeah. I don't know. In a way. In a way. <laughs> no, please carry on and I'll cut that. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that I no, I think that makes sense because I think what I was perhaps in my head trying to say was this is the thing that is comparable in all commodities. Yeah. Right. And I mean that was section one where Marx was saying, where does this base form of value come from that because these things exist on a marketplace and we assume that there is something comparable in every commodity and that thing isn't utility, mm-hmm. um, then it must be value as determined by socially necessary labor time and i think that's perhaps why i said it's the truest form when perhaps what i could have said is it's the comparable form comparable form sure. uh, of value because it is value um across all commodities yeah, yeah i guess yeah we'll get into this a bit today mm. but yeah it's almost the case that like you cannot have a capitalist economy without having that process of abstraction happen sure from the, the material labor to the yeah, yeah, yeah. labor in an abstract sense yeah, i.e yeah. Socially necessary labor time. Totally, totally. And the last one I'll bring up um, is Tom says the use value doesn't enter into the formation of the value of a thing. Um, E.g., the more useful nature of a new iPhone doesn't enter into the value of the iPhone. Only the socially necessary labor time. A thing that has a use value doesn't even have to have a value or indeed a price. For example, the air that we breathe. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then that was in section one. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you, Tom. Very, very cool. I, I think it's safe to say Dan and I were both very excited to see not just like someone interacting with what we were saying, but um, it was cool to have corrections made because yeah. like, like I said, we're reading this in a linear way uh, and neither of us are value theorists. I'll say that right <laughs> now um, as perhaps will become apparent today. Anything, anything else to say on uh, Tom's um, notes? I mean, maybe only to say a formulation that's been going around my head since we did that episode, mm. and which was sort of like added to by Tom's the last statement, the last comment that you read out from Tom mm. is, and we'll get into this a bit again today. Is like what the the role that use value bears in this whole equation, I suppose. And I, yeah, I sort of settled on a formulation which is to say that for a th- commodity to have value, it has to bear some use value. Mm. Um, but that use value has no bearing on the quantity of value in a thing. Sure. Um, totally, because it, um, but it does relate to the commodity as a whole. Yes. If that's useful yeah, for yeah, people yeah, to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is going to come up a lot in this next section, right? Like, mm. there is an abstracting that goes on away from use value, but it's never excluded entirely. It is always there in the background. Sure. Um, contributing. Because in quite an that's essential an way. As yeah. we'll get on today, there is something essential. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just essential. Value. Yeah, it's just essential for a commodity to exist. It has to be useful, yeah. or at least satisfy some kind of need. Um, like you wouldn't say like, I don't know, you wouldn't say a fidget spinner is useful, bringing fidget spinners back, but <laughs> it's satisfying some kind of want, which is like maybe distraction to play with it. I don't know. Play, I guess. Uh-huh. I don't know. I guess you could consider that a, a use value. I'm having sure. fun. I mean, it has, I mean it, has, it has to have it. Use value. Yeah. 
Exactly. I'm just saying that, like, it's weird. Like, you wouldn't be like, that's a useful thing, but that's kind of like... Oh, it's it's a phrase it's a phraseology yeah, thing. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I get yeah, again we're to, we're working in <laughs> we're working with abstractions. We're working yeah. with pieces of terminology which we're being given a full definition for <laughs> by which I mean um leave your assumptions at the door. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. What so do there words we go. Mean, Jack? What do words mean? What do words mean? Maybe we should learn English before we do this. Perhaps, or German. <laughs> yeah, or German. Yeah, exactly. Dan and I did realize that um, we're working a little bit with, as we said last episode, David Harvey's. Um, what's the full title of it? The Companion to Marx's Capital by David Harvey. Yeah, we realized that he's working from a different edition than the one we have, and we've also found several typos in our edition, so that's cool. <laughs> um, more on that later. Chapter one, Dan, section two. The twofold character of labor embodied in commodities. So, read this a couple times, and I th- think what's been confusing me is that it's this it's the way that Marx is writing, right? And the way that he's making his points, and the way that he has to make his points, is that he's working towards one point, but to get there, he wades through all sorts of uh, subpoints and and you know the relationship between this thing it's the same thing oh it's not the same thing this thing is the greater whole this thing is just part of that uh, it's all very confusing but I think the first thing we should do talking about this is to just explain what that twofold character of labor in a commodity is right so it's just useful labor and it's abstract labor am I correct yes okay so useful labor to break that down a little con- bit. Yeah, useful or concrete labor. There's useful, a lot yeah. of slippage in terminology. We were just discussing this before we started yeah. recording. Like, yeah, and productive uh, power. There's, and... A, there's a lot of places where certain ter- terms seem to stand in for the same thing. Yeah. Like you, you brought up the example occasionally uses the word wealth, or at least yeah. the translator of this edition uses the word wealth. Yeah. Um, which is we suppose is meant to be largely stand in for use value. For the quantity of use values you have, yeah. I think, yeah. Yes. But hey, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there. So useful, you, God damn it. Useful labor. <laughs> God, this is going to be brutal. Useful labor is concrete labor as it exists. It's you going to work and holding pig feed, I guess. Actually, let's not use that example. It's you going to work and making a coat, right? You're making something useful. I don't know if my job has value at all. Um it's, yeah, it's you creating a use value. It's the work that you're actually doing, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before. Commodities mm. um, have to have a useful aspect to them. Mm. Um, they have to satisfy some want in human beings. Mm. And the nature of the use value that they satisfy is a result of their material existence I sure suppose. like it's a result of some aspect of their material qualities mm. plus how you human beings have come to interact with then those useful qualities i suppose yeah exactly um, so yeah there's this sort of twofold as we saw on the very first page like there is this historic process of working out what the usefulness of things are mm. but but he dismisses that as being the work of history kind of thing yeah um so yeah, 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 yeah. Objects have a specific use value which is based upon their material nature. Yeah. And it takes, this is a very obvious statement, <laughs> it takes um, specific types of material labor to create those material properties which are its use values. Which are qualitatively different. So yes. Mm. So, so the work of tailoring to make a coat mm. 
results in the coat's useful nature, mm-hmm. and that work is materially different to the holding of pig feed around a warehouse, <laughs> um, which results in an equally useful, well, a useful outcome. I shan't say equally useful. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a bit not of a equally, Not equally useful. Um, but it results in a useful outcome nonetheless. Mm. Um, and the... The, the nature of the labor that goes into making a thing achieves the specific the specific nature of the labor that goes into making a thing results in the specifically useful qualities of the thing exactly yeah and this kind of separation of labor uh marx makes a point to say that this isn't ne- this isn't uh dis uh what's the word unique to capitalism this is all this is he basically says this has always existed and it's a necessity for human life at least societal life right um but he also says that even though this division of labor is a necessity for the production of commodities and thus to capitalism, it is not specific to capitalism. Yeah. So he uses the point of like uh, India where there's a caste system and the social uh, distribution of labor um, as not being capitalism. He says that this is something that's always existed, but in order to have capitalism and to produce commodities, you absolutely need division of labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these yeah. qualitatively I mean, different you could, useful You could imagine a acts. society in which there is no division of labor, mm. but it wouldn't be a very advanced one. Yeah. It would be probably one that you would you you could plausibly witness in a great number of places in the animal kingdom where yeah. like every every member of a species does exactly the same type of work to maintain their subsistence kind of or gain yeah. their subsistence and maintain their existence. Mm. Um, oh. But <laughs> To have any type of complex society at all, you need to have some kind of division of labor. Yeah, exactly. I think. I'd, I'd now, say there, so. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is a question of like what a division of labor might look like in a future socialist society. I, I was I was wondering that. I was wondering how that related to the quote of like everyone's a schmuck and a yeah, fisherman. <laughs> and a... Without being a schmuck and a fisherman. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just a schmuck fisherman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, quite. So uh, I think th- let's just table that. Table it. Yeah, we're tabling it. <laughs> I think we have the right to table things, honestly, and yes. I think we should exercise that right m- more often. <laughs> I just want to emphasize use value, as well as contributing useful attributes to a commodity, is also essential for the exchange of commodities. He emphasize he emphasizes, or he makes the point that like. For exchange to happen, there has to be an exchange of commodities which have different usefulnesses. Mm. Because he, he makes the point nobody would exchange like for like, right? Yeah. If if two objects bear exactly the same use value, what would be the point of um, swapping them with your buddy kind of thing? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. There's no purpose. Um, for fun. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the significance of that? The significance of that is before we rush headlong into defining the the abstract characteristics of labor which contribute to the value of commodities mm. which is also essential to the exchange of commodities you sure we, we covered this last week and we're going to cover it again like mm. um to exchange commodities you have to be able to identify something unique to all of the commodities to be ex- to mm. be exchanging mm. But before we make that sort of like conceptual leap, just kind of wanted to emphasize, as I was saying before, like use value has a very important part to pay in all aspects of this equation. Mm. Um, And one of them is that 
it makes possible exchange of commodities. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's good too. And it also, I think we should probably bring up as well um, that use values are it made up of two things. So, I mean, the translation that Dan and I are using, I'm going to quote a fairly often quoted passage in a way that I think is not often quoted because I think our translation uses different words. This is the metabolic thing. Sure. And I think there are a couple typos in here, so whatever. So far as so far, therefore, as labor is the creator of use value is useful labor. I think that's the typo. I think it's just supposed to be so far as labor is useful labor. It is a necessary condition independent of all forms of society for the existence of the human race. It is an internal, eternal nature imposed necessity without which there can be no material exchanges between man and nature and therefore no life. So that's exactly what you're saying. But it's also important, I think, to realize that like I was saying, the use values are made up of two things, and that is labor, right? But also these material things that we get from nature. Mm -hmm. So there's a relationship between human beings and nature because, you know, the use value of, like, a tree, you know, when you're trying to make a house, it's like, okay, you need to put in some labor to make that, some lumber to make it a, you know, to make it a house. It's not just going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I guess just what I'm saying is that we need to make note that use values are made up of these two things. One, which is the relationship between human beings and nature, and one, which is just labor, right? Or just nature and labor, I guess. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's an interesting passage because, um, well, Harvey makes the point that this is one of those things where Marx kind of, like, drops in <laughs> um, what you can recognize as being something very essential to what's been interpreted as Marx's theory of historical materialism. But mm. it doesn't really get very much elucidation i suppose like, yeah maybe um, we'll later yeah for, well he, he suggests it doesn't get a huge amount from this book but like it is very resonant with things in the early marks where labor is very like mm. is an essential characteristic of human beings yeah um that finds its resonance here in capital um yeah he's making the point <laughs> by laboring human beings allow for a material exchange with nature yeah it, it, exactly laboring is the sort of concrete foundation of human beings relationship mm. to the world yeah yeah exactly yeah and it, yeah what does he say um independent of all forms of society so like yeah, yeah. society's there being like modes of production i suppose in a marxist sense like, yeah exactly independent of which mode of production we're functioning in laboring is an essential part of human beings relationship to the world mm. But as we'll see, that activity is getting a very specific, operates under a very specific guise and dependent based on the mm. mode of production, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that that's, you know, twofold nature of utilities, mm. use values, nature. Well, no, Two use values. Um, the twofold nature of use values is nature and labor. I believe what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, in the, yeah, in the sense that like things that exist in nature can have use values, sure, and things that are the product of labor mm. have use values. Um, he also quotes William Petty, but I mean, um, what's his name? Harvey basically says that this is an idea that goes back before him, where he says that we see then that labor uh, is not the only material the source of material wealth of uh, use values produced by labor. As William Petty puts it, labor is the father and the earth is the mother. Mother? Mother. So thank you for gendering nature and labor. William Petty. Um, so now should we hop back and get back into that second character of labor in commodities? So that was useful labor. Mm -hmm. Inside of a commodity, there is also 
labor as represented in its abstract form, abstract labor. Um, this, again, goes back to the idea that we talked about last week of socially necessary labor time and um, is representative of capital V value, right? Value in the Marxist sense. Um, this is not the work as it exists as someone just doing it in a singular sense. This is the average across society. Um, and yeah, on the like spectrum of like commodities, uh, include value and ex uh, use value. This is on the value side. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch to get to just with that, but I mean, I think that that's like, first of all, just like, that's the point that he's building towards. It's these two things, right? Sure, yeah, and we can return again to what we talked about last week mm. in terms of Marx has made this observation that human beings exchange commodities based on something, or human beings who live under the capitalist mode of production exchange commodities seemingly predicated on something other than the material qualities of those commodities. Yeah. Basically, the argument that was made, or my understanding of the argument that was made, was that if you're, if you're, if it seems, it seems to be the case that it is possible to compare one commodity to all of the commodities, mm. you're never going to find one useful attribute of one commodity, which is an analogous to a useful attribute of all of the commodities. Exactly. Um, so if it is the case that there is some kind of exchange going on, which clearly is, because you just, well, it's something that Marx sort of points out as just being naturally the case under capitalism. This is something that happens. Sure. Um, there needs to be something unique to all commodities. Yeah. And obviously last week he said that it was labor, and in the abstract and here we here we hear the development of that is what he's talking about is labor in the abstract which again is just the average amount of time it takes to produce a commodity across a society so there's there's this paragraph right at the end the last paragraph which took me a little while to understand um and it's written in a pretty confusing way but it does sum up the difference between these two uh types of labor that are in a commodity right i mean i i'm just gonna read it and it is going to be confusing, but then I think we'll break it down. So he says, on one hand, all labor is, speaking physiologically, an expenditure of human labor power. And in its character of identical abstract human labor, it creates and forms the value of commodities. On the other hand, all labor is the expenditure of human labor power in a special form with a definite aim. And in this, its character of concrete, useful labor produces use values. So, I mean, I think the way that I kind of made that make sense in my head is that, like, let's say you're at work and you're producing um, a shoe. Um, what you're doing is exercising, like, just what you're doing is exercising. That's concrete labor power, right? That's you creating a use value. But on a broader scale, uh, every shoemaker in the world and the amount of time it takes for them to produce that specific shoe, that is, like, big picture value right that is uh abstract labor i believe so it's funny because like you know this is definitely written by a philosopher because he's like kind of trying to like get down into this like you know i don't know like big picture kind of thing it's funny because it, it definitely doesn't feel like any economics i've ever read because it's very philosophical to get to this point of like what is that thing that we're comparing right it's a very useful paragraph because it it, it makes um it sort of it, it reiterates how they're almost of like equal worth to the nature of the commodity, the concrete labor and the abstract labor. When talking about abstract labor, Marx basically makes seems to make the point that um, 
All commodities share an attribute, which is that they are the products of the expenditure of human labour. Mm. It's almost as if we're trying to imagine human beings trying to create a world in which um, exchange of commodities is possible. Mm. And they've settled on valuing things based on some estimation of the quantity or the amount of labour that it's, that's been expended in the making of the thing. But the dynamics of, that we were talking about last week now come into play in terms of like social inestimable labour time. What's being compared is the amount of labour that it takes on average for the average person making this commodity to make that thing rather than any assessment of the actual nature of the labour that's gone into making it. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The There's another thing that I really wanted to talk about because I was a little confused by this is when he talks about wealth versus value. And I was saying this to you earlier. I wish you expanded on this um, more right now because this is something that's been really kind of confusing me. And I think I uh, came up a lot in Tom's uh, corrections is that like how I've been kind of confusing wealth, price, value, all these different things, right? But to Marx, when he says material wealth when you're when you you know an increase of material wealth is just an increase in the amount of use values that you command right so to use a coat as an example it's like he says you know with two coats two people can be clothed with one coat only one person nevertheless an increased quantity of material wealth may correspond to a simultaneous fall in the magnitude of its value so he's saying that like that type of wealth is not necessarily exactly correlated with value. And then it's funny because I was like, okay, I understand that. And then he keeps going in the paragraph and kind of got confused. Like when we were talking about this earlier, you know, there's a little bit of a, it seems like slippage between terms of like, you know, productive, uh, productive power, useful labor, all these different kinds of things to explain the difference between wealth and value. Um, I guess I'll just read it. He says, this antagonistic movement has its origin in the twofold character of labor. Productive power has reference, of course, only to labor of some useful concrete form. The efficacy of any special productive activity during a given time being dependent on its productiveness. Okay, so productive power is just basically how many use values you're creating. Is that fair to say? I suppose yeah, so. In this, <laughs> I suppose so. In this instance, in this use of the terminology. I yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Useful labor becomes, therefore, a more or less abundant source of products in proportion to the rise or fall of its productiveness. Okay, that makes sense. On the other hand, no change in the productiveness affects the labor represented by value. So I think I got confused there because I thought that he meant change of productiveness means more things being made uh in the like in the same given amount of time which to me kind of meant like wait a minute so doesn't that mean that it's bringing the socially necessary labor time down you know what i mean i, I think i'm still a little bit confused by that yeah i'm not very clear <laughs> i'm not very clear i mean i only got so far in this section i only got so far as ascertaining mm. but basically what he was trying to say was that there can be there can be changes in the material process of production which change the nature of the use values created. Sure. But have no corresponding bearing on the abstract labor and the value mm. that those things bear. And likewise, there can be 
changes in the productive there can be fluctuations in the value Mm. or there can be changes in the value that the things have without there being any corresponding change in the material process of production so is it is is a useful metaphor at all saying like it takes the same amount of abstract labor to produce a coat with more pockets that's therefore i guess more useful so that like in an increase in the number of use values like i don't i don't know i'm a, i'm a little confused by that because it's like i guess this is kind of what he was getting at when he bought up the linen versus the coat right if they have the same value but us perceiving them as different values? Hmm. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little confused on mm-hmm. all of that. Maybe I'll just keep reading. So he says, since productive power is an attribute of the concrete useful forms of labor, of course, I hate it when he says that, of course it can no longer have any bearing on that labor so soon as we make abstraction from those concrete useful forms. However, then productive power may vary. The same labor exercised during equal periods of time always yields equal amounts of value. But it will yield, during equal periods of time, different quantities of values and use. More if the productive power rise, fewer if it falls. Okay, okay, okay. Now, now I think I get what he's saying. You can still have the same amount of abstract labor going to making something, but have more use values in that thing. So, but then he says, the same change in productive power which increases the fruitfulness of labor. See, there's all this... Th- effing term slippage because it's like fruitfulness of labor productive power it's like god damn it (laughs) the same change in productive power which increases the fruitfulness of labor and in consequence the quantity of use values produced by that labor will diminish the total value of its increased quantity of use values provided such change shorten the total labor time necessary for the production and vice versa maybe you could use automation as an example of that i guess um I'm just holding on to this being more clearly elucidated as we understand, uh, as we read on. Because I, like, I do understand what he's saying, but it's, I think, like, not having concrete, like, examples is, like, it kind of throwing me for a loop. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because my brain just keeps wanting to go back to value is just meaning price, right? But it's like, oh, yeah, fuck, that's not what it means at all. We haven't even gotten to the bits about money yet. Has he even mentioned money at all? Mm-hmm. Um. All right, now I've worked myself to... up into a tizzy. Yeah. This is the bit that most confused me, and I d- mm. didn't come up with any, like, mm. any useful conclusions from it. Um, the only other thing I kind of want to bring up is the simple labor power and skilled labor. Although, again, it seems like he's just dropping that to be like, remember this, I'm going to bring it up later. You know what I mean? I mean, I suppose it, what's interesting is that as a nature of the abstractions that he is engaged in... Mm. It's a useful one, I suppose. I mean, basically, basically what he says is like, okay, so we're going to create some kind of unit which is labor in the abstract, and and we're gonna we're gonna basically we're gonna create a correspondence or an equation between more skilled labor and less skilled labor by just simply saying that more skilled labor is just more of these units of labor. Mm. Um, yeah, at a, at a certain point in this section, he brings up, like you're saying, trying to create a unit for value, basically. And, he, you know, he kind of trips over himself where he's like, you know, you might ask, what about like skilled labor versus what he calls simple average labor, which is labor that everybody could do. The mm-hmm. av- well, like the average person could do, whereas skilled labor is not right. And he basically says that if we want to create a unit for value, right, we need to think of 
skilled labor as just a multiplied version of simple labor. And I think that's all, I think that's all that really needs to be said about that. I yeah. think it is pro- possibly something that will get bought up labor. I think it's la- <laughs> labor. God damn it, bought up later. I think it's just possibly like saying there might be a critique here because of you know this concept of skilled labor, mm-hmm. but don't think of skilled labor as being like in a class of itself. He's like it's just. A multiple, like I just said, it's a multiplied version of simple labor. Yes. I don't know if anything else needs to be said about that. Ere we risk confusing ourselves. Because I don't, I don't know if there really is anything else that he says there about that. It's just no, I mean, it's an, I mean, it's analogous to, like, the way he multiplies the, the, the exchange value or the value of a, a I don't want to, don't want to <laughs> use language that implies price. <laughs> Like a simple commodity exchanges in a very large quantity for a sort of yeah. more valuable, complicated commodity kind of thing. But the two, there is some comparison of a like thing between mm. 100 pencils and like one cup of coffee or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's the same as that, right? Like, although the nature of the labor is different, the, 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 the idea of um, complex labor and simple labor are features of the material reality of the labor that's done. I feel like mm. they're, they're features of labor, the concreteness of labor. Yeah. And when you when you make the step toward abstract labor, when you go when you undertake this process of abstractifying, what results is labor measured in some homogeneous unit. As yeah. Well as like some labor can be valued in varying degrees of a certain like substance, which is labor in the abstract. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> and you just have to create, and he doesn't say what that would be, but he just is like, it's multiplied simple labor, which is just like, okay, if I was actually trying to do this, that would kind of be useless. Because it's like, well, okay, what is that ratio? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But yes, that is skilled labor very quickly. Um, I, wrote a, I wrote a note for myself, which was capitalist societies deploy varying degrees of labor two different tasks at any time and mm. basically that was me- what was that was meant to trigger in me i suppose was the idea of a sort of like society-wide allocation of a specific resource kind of thing mm. like because there is there is a section in this where he's talking about um the amount of labor that's apportioned to the making of linen as opposed to coats kind of thing mm. and there can be fluctuations in um it's dangerous, isn't it? Because I want to imagine these things as being a society-wide thing, mm. but also they're not done with a, a sort of a directed, single mind yeah. doing the work kind of thing. I think maybe that... that's the last paragraph, right? Is he's saying that it's kind of both, but that it's specific, you know, it like it's yeah, it's the it's the chap, it's the it's the section heading, right? It's the twofold character of labor and commodities. It's like it's the concrete labor being done, but the concrete labor being done has to do with the abstract labor as a whole and vice versa. Like, they're both interconnected, but they're both different, right? Speaking physiologically. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just staring at the same sentence, trying to turn it into some justification of what I just said. Moreover, we see at a glance, in in our capitalist society, a given portion of human labor is, in accordance with varying demand, at one time supplied in the form of tailoring, and at another in the form of weaving. I think it, I think it's I think that would make so much more sense if we lived 
in a closer proximity to the work of tailoring and weaving. Because yeah, yeah. for me, it's just kind of like, I don't know, tailoring and weaving. Tailoring, presumably, weaving is like making the cloth. Tailoring is a little bit more making a specific product. So, I mean, like, I guess that just gets into the different use values of linen versus a coat, because that's like the examples that he's going with. I suppose, yeah, I suppose what I was trying, what caught my attention was this idea that, um, at different times, different portions of human labor are accorded to different productive activities based on the demand for those things. Mm. Mm. I don't know what, what greater detail that adds. <laughs> I guess just that in the division of labor, that would just be putting, I guess, more productive forces towards a specific type of, type of useful labor, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. um, the only other section that I think is worth looking at it's, it's just it's basically what we've been saying, but I think it's good to sum it up as he says, while with reference to use value, the labor contained in a commodity counts only qualitatively, the reference to value counts only quantitatively and must first be reduced to human labor, pure and simple. So, yeah, useful labor is qualitatively different, right? It's the difference between creating linen and creating a coat. Um, but those two things could at the end of the day, produce a commodity that has the same value, perhaps. I don't know if that's like what in the real world would happen sure. because they would take the same amount of time yeah. to produce. Um, again, don't know anything about linen, don't know anything about coats, mm -hmm. but possibly. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mark supposes that a coat is worth twice as much as <laughs> 10 yards of linen, I think, is his question. <laughs> I wonder if he was just pulling that out of his Yeah, ass. yeah, he's just making it up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess... I don't know. At the end of the day, this section is bringing up a lot of different things, but the main point of it is to show you that in the labor that goes into creating a commodity, you know, there's a twofold character to that, and it's the useful labor, which is concrete and there. You can point at somebody being like, there he is doing it, and it's the abstract labor, which is, you know, the whole and the average that it takes. W-H-O-L-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are... Uh, of equal importance but they operate or occupy totally different spaces and realms yeah and, but yeah and in, but... And in, in, I don't know in, in order to have a capitalist economy this abstraction from concrete to abstract is an essential one yeah and in order to explain um, a great many of the operations of capitalism the functioning of the market the nature of the sort of like interconnected global world that it mm. produces mm. Um, you really have to fix fixate in on you have to focus on labor in the abstract yeah totally um, because that's the comparable thing yes yeah, yeah. that's the truest so, form of value so, so yeah, <laughs> yeah so it, it, if if the um, if concrete labor if the sort of like and and the resulting uh, material use values of a thing are a sort of like a historical thing, something which is a hangover from mm. pre-capitalist world, or um, is the is a, an example of the universality of the human existence, mm. to be verbose. Um, <laughs> the the abstractions that that make up this analysis, the 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 nature the no, the notion of the abstraction that results in, or the form of economic activity that results in the importance of this abstraction towards abstract labor is one unique to the capitalist economy and one which is sort of defines its the ultimate nature of mm. capitalism totally no absolutely <laughs> 
yeah, a lot, like we said, a lot in these four pages that is difficult to understand, I think, without reading everything all at once, without just consuming the bowl. The mm -hmm. bowl. I keep saying, what is wrong with me? The book. Yeah. So I don't know if there's anything else we need to bring up. That does seem like it. <laughs> <laughs> or at least it, like the, the necessary stuff to bring up. Um, that is not, we're not just going to be talking ourselves in circles trying to figure out. This is, I, so yeah, I think in the rest of this chapter on the bits on commodities, there are four sections. So we've read the first two. Um, obviously, like I said, first chapter is all about commodities. So the first section was the two factors of a commodity, which is use value and value. We just read the bits about the two types of labor in a commodity. Next, it's going to be the form of value or exchange value. Um which presumably is going to be a bit more complicated, mm -hmm. which is exciting. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, it should be good. Yeah, I'm excited. Very excited. Um, Capital, it's a confusing book, folks. <laughs> Some good stuff in there, though. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, this, this Marx guy is going to go places. Anything else? Um, I don't think so. No, thank you for listening. There you yeah. go. We'll be back with section three, which, as I said, is the form of value or exchange value. At some point in the future. At some point in the future, <laughs> when we wrap our uh, uh, meager little smooth brains around it, and it'll be great. Awesome. 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 I have been. Great book. I have been in a conversation with Dan. Ah, I see. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I have been subjected to conversation with Jack. Uh, and coming together as uh, a whole, this has been our ability to save the music you heard this episode was music to kill bad people too by king gizzard and the lizard wizard if you like this song you can check it out and much much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com be sure and follow us up on instagram twitter and facebook and if you like what you heard be sure and tune in next week for some more comedy discussion Till next time.